G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast and this is episode 94. I'm delighted to be joined today by Chip Bennett, and Chip is from Avon, Indiana, United States, and he's 44 years old, married, and father of two teenage girls. Chip has always been a healthy person, but he struggled with his weight since elementary school, and when he was nearly diagnosed with diabetes during the COVID-19 pandemic, he refused to go down that path. And here he is today to tell us about his inspiring story and how he found his way to intermittent fasting. Welcome, Chip Bennett. Oh, g'day, Chip, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you so much for joining me all the way there from Indiana in the USA. Good morning. Happy to be here, Graham. Oh, thank you so much. So, Chip, if you don't mind, for people out there that don't know you, if you could just go over a bit of your backstory and any issues you had with weight or health in your life, and just how you found your way to intermittent fasting. Uh, Sure, I'd be happy to. So, to start with, I'm 44 years old. Uh, I'm six feet, two inches or 188 centimeters tall. Uh, and I am, uh, I'm married and I've got two teenage girls. Um, so if I start way back when, um, back in early elementary school, I was actually a pretty small, skinny kid, but somewhere in elementary school, I started putting on weight and by fifth or sixth grade, I was, I was kind of the chubby kid around 10, 11 years old. Uh, and ironically now, I think the weight I was then would probably pretty much be seen as normal, but back then that was still, still considered overweight. Um, and then all through junior high and high school, I was, I was kind of the overweight kid. Um, now I was always active. I played, uh, varsity tennis in high school. I played in college. Uh, I was in the marching band in high school. I was the basketball team manager. So I, I was always very active, but I was just also always heavy, um, and of course, this was the, the 80s and the, the early 90s. And so I ate the typical low fat, high carb diet that was the dogma back then, you know, dry cereal and toast for breakfast. Um, interestingly, in high school, I often skipped lunch. And I think that'll be uh, irrelevant when we, when we start talking about intermittent fasting. But I didn't realize it back then, but I, I was actually doing a bit of intermittent fasting unknowingly just by skipping lunch and only two meals a day. Um, but typically I, I grew up in Indiana and kind of the, the culture here is very meat and potatoes. It's farm country. Uh, so I never really had a sweet tooth. I've never been a dessert person, but uh, I've always loved starches. So any kind of potato that that's fried and made crispy and really salty, uh, th- that has always been something that I would go to more than, than any kind of dessert. Um, biscuits and gravy, you know, those kinds of things. Um, those would be more my, my downfall than, than cookies or, or cake or anything. When I graduated high school, I weighed probably 275 pounds or 125 kilograms. And I maintained that weight generally through college. Uh, the, my senior year of college, uh, I discovered Atkins. I remember going home uh, to my parents for uh, Christmas break. And my dad told me about this new book that he'd read about eating all the, the meat and bacon and cheese that you want and not eating carbs and lose weight. And, and of course, ingrained in the low fat dogma back then, I thought, well, I got to read this book because it sounds like it's something that's, you know, he's going to give himself a heart attack. Well, I read the book and it made perfect sense. So I said, well, I'm going to try that. So I remember New Year's Eve going into the year 2000. And so I, I, I started the, the Atkins diet and followed it uh, very strictly. And I ended up losing 80 pounds. By the time I graduated, um, five, six months later, I was 
uh, about 197 pounds or 90 kilograms. And then I graduated college and I moved to, to Michigan, uh, moved up there by myself, started my first job out of college. And that winter I ended up contracting mono. Uh, and of course, living by myself and being uh, out of work for 10 or 12 weeks, uh, I think I lived on pizza delivery for that whole time, just because if, I don't know if, how many have had mono, but you mean you have no energy and you can't really go anywhere and it's highly contagious when you've got it and, and then it's a long recovery. And so I lived on pizza. That, that, that was the only thing I could get delivered back then for 10 or 12 weeks. And that was kind of the start of gaining back probably more than half of the weight that I initially lost. Uh, so after that, I really continued to struggle to lose the weight again, but I was able to maintain at a lower weight, probably around uh, 240 pounds. Uh, and I remember in 2006, when I had uh, my first date with, with uh, my now wife, I, I weighed about 235 pounds or about 107 kilograms. And that was also around the time that I was first diagnosed with, with gout. Um, I had a lot of uh, incidents at work where I would just, my, my ankle or my toe or my knee would just swell and be in pain. And I had no idea why. And they, they started to um, increase in frequency. And finally, I was diagnosed with, with gout. Uh, and I was uh, you know, barely 30 years old at that point kind of slowly over the next decade and a half, my, my weight, my weight slowly increased and the gout slowly worsened as well. Uh, in, in 2017, um, uh, at that time I, I was, uh, started traveling for work, which I, I do regularly now. And I remember I was working on a project in Boston and, um, I got to the airport and I couldn't walk and, uh, they actually wheeled me to the gate. And I remember uh, calling my wife and saying, um, just to let you know, when I fly home, I'm, I'm going straight to the hospital and um, ended up going right to the ER and had to get uh, pain medicine um, to, to, to bring the pain back down. Um, it's probably the, the worst episode that, that I'd ever had. Um, now, eventually I, I found a doctor who, who medicated it well, and we got that under control. Uh, to the point where I was able to deal with it and, and, and still work. Um, but at the same time, I also started developing more and more symptoms of metabolic disorder. I started developing mild hypertension. My uh, hemoglobin A1C increased. In 2018, 2019, I started taking medicine for hypertension, and I was diagnosed with prediabetes. Uh, all of that leading up to 2020, uh, which was uh, problematic for, for probably all of us, uh, but that, that was really where I reached that final point of change. Um, during the, the, the start of the, the pandemic, um, I work in, in the pharmaceutical industry. I'm a, a consultant in pharmaceutical manufacturing, and I went to uh, work at a client site for four months uh, to help them get a, a coronavirus treatment uh, onto the market. And I was, it was during the lockdown, I was in a hotel away from my family for four months working out of a hotel room. 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Over that period, I went home two weekends. I saw my family probably four days over that, uh, that four months. And um, when I finished that, uh, so we couldn't go outside, couldn't exercise, couldn't walk, uh, really couldn't do anything. And at the end of that project, I was stressed. I was tired. I was in the worst physical and mental state of my life. I, and my weight had gone up to 294 pounds. Um, my A1C that I had measured, um, around that time was 7.2, which uh, if I had gotten one more um, blood work reading like that, I would have been diagnosed as, as diabetic. And that was really my, my breaking point. And that was the point where I, I um, knew I had to make changes because I, I was not going to go down the path of, of dealing with diabetes uh, and, and being diabetic. And I knew that it was largely lifestyle changes that would address it. I didn't want to um, address it with, with medication. Cause I've seen how that doesn't really work. Uh, so in July of 2020, I read a book called the 21 day keto reset diet by Mark Sisson. And that was where I was really first introduced to the concept of, of intermittent fasting. And that book also was the basis for several lifestyle changes that I implemented. Um, and starting in August of that year, I started a 16, eight, um, intermittent fasting regimen. And 
um, really my my initial focus there. Uh, one of the things that that I'd started doing um, that I immediately recognized after reading that book and others that, that was problematic. I'd started uh, in the evenings when I was home. Uh, we would watch TV or movies, and I'd sit on the couch and I'd make a snack and have this snack at at the end of the day or at at, at night. Uh, and it was still keto because I generally still followed the keto principles um, ever since I first did it. So my snack might be some cold cuts or cheese or nuts or something. Um, but it, it was still, um, you know, right before bed. And um, as I understand now, that was still causing insulin issues because I, my baseline insulin level was so high, um, you know, I wasn't giving my body a chance to to recover. So I cut out that snack. I um, I started at two meal a day, 16, eight intermittent fasting, still doing keto. Um, after a couple months of that, uh, I eventually shifted into a, an OMAD pattern, uh, just eating one meal a day. But in addition to that, uh, I did a lot of other things that, that had a big impact. Uh, I really focused on fixing my sleep hygiene. So, uh, I decided I would make sure that my, my last meal, of the day or my one meal would be uh, at least four hours before I would go to bed. Uh, I stopped using screens af after dark or soon after dark as I could. Um, and I made sure that I would go to bed earlier. My, my girls would actually make fun of me. I, I got in such a routine that by nine o'clock I was shutting down. And if I was still sitting down on the couch, I would start falling asleep. So my usual routine is I will, I will go start my bedtime routine at nine, um, get ready for bed, lay in bed and, and, and read in low light until I fall asleep. I'd normally be asleep by or before 10 o'clock. And then I would wake up without an alarm. One of the nice things about uh, remote working through the pandemic is not having to deal with commutes, not having to deal with um, waking up at a certain time. Uh, I could allow myself to get the sleep that I needed. And what I found out was um, once I kind of recovered my sleep hygiene, I would go to bed uh, be asleep by 10 o'clock. And I naturally wake up at six, six thirty every day anyway. Um, but waking up without an alarm actually makes a, a, a big difference in terms of how your, your body sleep cycles actually bring you out of sleep. Um, in addition to that, uh, I, I got regular daily sun exposure and regular daily activity. Uh, and we could talk about exercise at some point, but, but when I started, I really wanted to focus just on daily activity and intentionally focused on not getting into aerobic and particularly endurance aerobic type activity. So I would walk very slowly. Uh, the, the principle from, from Mark Sisson's books is just walk. And that's what I did. Uh, and I would walk at a, about a three mile per hour pace. So that's what a, a five kilometer per hour pace, very slow. And I would only walk 7,500 to 10,000 steps a day. I would make my goal to get at least 7,500, but not more than 10,000 because I didn't want to turn it into some, uh, you know, an, an endurance aerobic type workout. And I love coffee. I love black coffee. Uh, and I'm, I had already weaned myself down to only about three or four cups of coffee a day, but then I made sure I finished that before noon. And then I also uh, eliminated all industrial seed oils and as many processed foods as I could. Um, and that, that was a big change because my strategy was not only to restore proper insulin regulation, but also to regulate cortisol. And the two really work together, especially when you're insulin resistant and you're in a really high stress environment, as so many of us are. And so through this time, I continued to read books on, on primal and paleo lifestyle and fasting. I read uh, more books by Mark Sisson, The Primal Blueprint, I think was one of them. Uh, I read The Ultimate Guide to Fasting, which was where I was introduced to Dr. Jason Fung. That was also written by uh, another guy uh, named Jimmy Moore, who's also part of the the, the Atkins community from, from way back. And that was really what, what piqued my interest in that book. But thankfully, I was introduced to, to Dr. Jason Fung. And of course, I followed that up reading The Obesity Code and The Diabetes Code. And along the way in there, as I started looking for podcasts and Facebook groups, uh, I found your book. I read uh, The Fasting Highway, and that was really my introduction to Jen Stevens. So I read Delay, Don't Deny, and Fast, Feast, Repeat. Pretty much anything I could find, I get my hands on. You probably have picked up. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. Um, I, I'm an engineer um, by degree, and I, I work as an engineer and a project manager. Um, so I approach everything from 
a, a an engineer mindset. So we're, we may be just opposite and <laughs> that, you know, I want to know every detail of, of the science that I can try to understand all the principles. Um, and, and so I dig in as much as I can find anything I can, I can read, I'm going to try and read. If somebody references a study, I'm going to try, got to try and try and go find that study and, and read it. Um, so through all of that around November of last year, uh, based on Dr. Fun's work with insulin resistance strategies, I decided that I would try alternate day fasting. So and that's what I've been doing largely since then. And I decided on an alternate day fasting regimen of three times per week, where my fasting days would be Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And I, I know a lot of people like to fast on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but um, that really didn't work great for me for a couple reasons. Um, one, logistically, it doesn't work great when I'm traveling. And two, with the family, typically if we're gonna if we're gonna do things either as a family or if we have any social things planned, it's gonna be on Friday or Saturday. So I wanted the flexibility to always be able to eat uh, or go out and do whatever on on Friday and Saturday. So that's why I picked uh, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Uh, also, um, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've I've done fasting in the past for religious reasons. We do prayer fasts over weekends. Um, I find a connection with starting the week with a fast to to be significant to me as well. So I, I really enjoy um, fasting on on Sundays. I mentioned that I travel for work, and when I when I started, I really I traveled through the through the whole pandemic, and I've continued to, to travel. It's thankfully not been as much, but probably one to two weeks a month that I've been traveling. So I had to figure out a routine that would work then as well. And when I first started, um, so I, I don't eat lunch, just logistically, I don't eat lunch when I'm on the road. It's, it's as you probably know, because I know you, you travel for work, it can be difficult to find anything decent to eat for lunch. It also takes an hour or two out of the middle of your day that honestly, I'd rather be working and, and get done with my work day. So I've just never been one to eat lunch. Um, at work or when I'm on the road. Uh, so with alternate day fasting, initially I just said, fine, I'll just uh, keep doing my one meal a day, alternate day fast. And that worked great in the beginning, but I, I want to stress it's really important. Um, through all of this, what we're doing is, is correcting our hormonal signals. We're, we're implementing uh, appetite correction to the point where we can actually trust and listen to those signals. So if they tell us we're hungry, we should eat. When they tell us we're full, we stop eating. And so what I found out, especially as I lost more weight and got farther along my journey, I would be hungry. Um, and I could trust that that signal and and act on it and eat. So I really sort of naturally shifted to just an, an OMAD while I'm on the road and then alternative fasting while I'm at home. And so that's been the routine that I've been using for probably the last at least three to six months. That's how I've gotten here. And I'd love to talk about, you know, what, it, you know, everything that, that, that happened throughout it. Yeah, mate, that's an incredible backstory there. And sometimes we have that catalyst moment, don't we? Like you just winding back there, you mentioned you got on that plane where you had that gout attack and you sat there in that pain, you went straight to the ER, you realized that your metabolic health was going downhill. You mentioned in your bio too, that you're getting to the point that you were going to be diabetic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, both my parents are diabetic. Uh, I, I watch how they have to deal with it, how they treat it, and I, I committed to myself that I would I would never deal with that. I would never go down that road. Uh, and so that was that was really that was really the trigger when when my doctor said, you know, if you come back the next time and your blood work says the same thing, uh, that's it. You're you're diabetic, and I wasn't going to allow that to happen. Yeah, I think that's great. And you took stock of your health and you did something about it. And, mate, that's an incredible amount of weight to lose in a short period of time, 100 pounds. I mean, I did something similar and I know how freeing that can be. And obviously, you talked about the travel and that sort of thing. And you're a business guy and an engineer background. How freeing has it been having this weight off your body, being able to travel and do all the things that you love now? Oh, it, it's fantastic. That That's really the the best part the the improvement in my health is is the number one thing it's the reason that i've done this uh the weight loss really was was secondary now i fully expected the weight loss because that's part and parcel with correcting the hormonal signals 
but really that was secondary. It was reversing the diabetes, reversing the gout, reversing the, the hypertension, all of the metabolic disorder uh, issues. And as the weight came off, obviously, so many things got easier. Uh, I can totally empathize with you on the, the airplane seats. Um, I, I never had to use a seatbelt extender, but uh, on some of the, the smaller regional planes, the, the CRJ 900s or 200s, uh, I was right on the edge of the seatbelt and it was, it was tight. Um, whereas now, uh, every, every plane that I'm on, there's, there's always a lot of slack in, in the seatbelt, which, which honestly still amazes me. It's fun. It's funny. You mentioned the model names. I knew every single model of every aircraft going and I knew what seats were best for me and which planes to fly on. That's what sort of stage I was and how fearful I was of flying. But the funny thing about flying is I've done so much of it and I've traveled around the world a fair bit, but yeah, now it's a real joy. But you also mentioned there that you dabble with the, or you may still do the ketogenic lifestyle that people talk about with keto and that sort of thing. And I often have people say to me, what exactly is keto? And we've had a few explanations. So if you could just give a bit of a brief background about what keto is and how, what benefits that came from that before you came to IF. Sure. And, and I think um, that's a good place to start because uh, you know, when we talk about what advice I, I would give to people, uh, a lot of it centers around that. And I don't think everyone needs to do keto. One of the the real benefits of an intermittent fasting lifestyle is you can adapt it and make it work with just about any dietary program that you want. Um, and it, it's not solely dependent. Now, some of them are going to be easier than others. And obviously, there there are genetic factors in, in all of that. But, uh, you know, by and large, it's, it's a it's a, a strategy that allows you to, to mostly use whatever dietary approach that, that you want to and still get some benefit. Keto as a diet is, is really the nutritional approach that's analogous to what intermittent fasting does. So what, what fasting does is it forces your body to switch its, its metabolic process from burning glucose to burning ketone bodies. So the body will, will break down the, the fat and your stored fat and, and the byproduct of that is ketone bodies. And then that is what the cells use as their fuel. Um, and in the absence of food, obviously your, your body's first going to, going to use the glucose that it, that it gets from the food that you take in. And it's going to use some of that. It's going to convert some to glycogen that gets stored uh, in, in your liver and in your muscles. And then anything that's left over, it's it's going to store as fat. Um, well, then when you stop eating, it kind of goes in in reverse order. So it's going to use any glucose that's in that's in your your bloodstream, and then it's going to look for your glycogen. And then when it's out of that, if there's nothing else coming in, it, its only option then is to switch to pulling the the fat back out of your fat cells and converting that back into a, a fuel source that it can use. So fasting does that just by removing any other external fuel source. Um, the ketogenic diet does that in a similar way by keeping the amount of carbohydrates extremely low. Um, the, the true ketogenic diet is, is a high fat diet. It was actually developed oh, about a hundred years ago um, as a therapy for epilepsy. And the, the researchers found that this particular diet worked really well for, for dealing with the symptoms of, of epilepsy. And essentially it's a really high fat moderate protein, very low carbohydrate. Fat does not really cause an insulin response in, in, in your metabolism. So if you, if you eat fat, you're not going to get a big insulin dump in, in your bloodstream. Protein has uh, somewhat of an insulin response. And then obviously carbs have a very high insulin response. So, um, it's, it's a diet that's based mostly on fat and moderate protein. And then because you don't have carbohydrate coming in your body still uh your body's going to have to use something else for fuel and i think with with the the epileptic patients part of that issue is the, the body actually loves to use ketones ketones will cross the blood brain barrier and it's a really good fuel source for your brain i think that's part of the reason why it was therapeutic for the ep epileptic patients um but for people who are overweight, it, it's also helpful for the same reason that intermittent fasting is helpful because it, it converts your body's metabolism to fat burning away from glucose burning. 
So when you combine that with intermittent fasting, it's like just stacking those benefits one on top of the other. And I think about keto too. Like for me, I guess I was living a keto-ish type of diet. I didn't even really know at the time, you know, keeping those carbohydrates low. And obviously, as you know, I was a sugar and fast food addict. So I got that out of my body. I stopped going through that drive-through and eating those highly processed foods. And it sounds like you were working through that too and getting that rid of that sort of food and going to a more healthier sort of a lifestyle. But when you started fasting, Chip, was the clean fast something you got from the start? Absolutely. Uh, so, and I want to I want to add that um, by comparison to the standard American diet, just you you just eliminating all the processed refined grains and sugars, you still leaves a lot of room for a lot of carbohydrates in the forms of of vegetables, some fruits, uh, other things um, that still might necessarily be strict keto, but still you get most of the benefits from, uh, so whether, you know, and then, you know, you could go carnivore and, you know, basically focus on meat or eat a bunch of vegetables. I like vegetables, so I eat vegetables. Um, but there's a lot of, lot of leeway in there, just getting away from the standard American diet that, that gives you a lot of the, these same benefits. But in terms of the clean fast, absolutely. Uh, I, I really picked up on from the start, the principle behind fasting is to correct insulin's uh, issues related to insulin resistance, and and that's to minimize the body's insulin response. So anything that would induce an insulin response during your fasting period would be counterproductive to that strategy. So obviously, it made sense. You don't want to do anything that's that's going to induce an insulin response while you're in your fasting period. I, I want to add a couple caveats, though. Uh, in my opinion, when especially when you're first starting out it's okay to use a crutch. So like a bone broth or a bulletproof coffee, you, when you're first developing the ability to, to fast intermittently, because our goal is to get to the point where that crutch isn't needed. But if we use a minimal amount of, of protein, like in a bone broth or of fat, like in a bulletproof coffee, right when you're, when you're starting, it's going to have a minimal impact on insulin. Remember, because fat doesn't have an insulin response, protein has a minimal insulin response. And that's far better than just outright opening your window several hours earlier than you intended to. But you got to remember that that crutch is, is just that. It's just a crutch. Allow it to help you build. A, people talk about the fasting muscle. As you build your fasting muscle, you want to move away from using that crutch. But if it helps you get there, that's great. Um, I, I, the intermittent fasting lifestyle should not really be one that has to be a huge struggle. Uh, some people talk about white knuckling, and I, I don't think that, that we always have to white knuckle. Um, and I, I also want to say, I don't have any qualms about doing experiments or A-B testing on myself. That's kind of my my engineer nerd side. I love to to do different things and see how I respond differently. So um, for a while, I would take a ketone supplement in the morning and drink coffee with a tablespoon of MCT oil just to see how I'd respond in terms of did it affect my energy or my hunger level or my appetite correction? If I did it, did I get hungrier later? Um, what about my, my weight loss? Um, I tweak other aspects of my strategy and, and see how I'd respond. And I think that's okay. But what you got to remember, what I caution you is to, to you got to have the fundamentals down first. Like if your strategy is going to be an, a 16-8 intermittent fasting or 18-6 or whatever, make sure you can do that and do that consistently and solidly and without struggle before you start adding in tweaks or experiments. Um, if you try to start tweaking or experimenting too soon, you kind of, I think you run the risk of making it more difficult to, to adapt uh, your your basic IF strategy. Yeah, and you talked about the crutch there, and I think that's something Doctor Fung does talk about a lot. And I, but you got to realize that he's dealing too with patients sometimes that are north of four hundred pounds. And I guess his theory is he'd rather see those people using those crutches uh, to get into fasting. But ultimately, the goal is the pure clean fast, as we like to call it. Um, Absolutely. For, for me, you know that's. That's a not negotiable thing for me, but I can see why that Dr. Fung does talk about that because he's dealing with some very, very obese people. And I guess I'd rather see people fasting than not fasting at all. And if that's the way they can get into it or they do the 12 and 12 protocol and they work up to a 16 and 8, then you're right. Then you just start slow and get into it. But ultimately, you don't want any crutches while you're fasting. You want to be able to get those maximum benefits, as you said. But Oh, also, well, Chip, we talk about the um, non-scale victories and the health benefits. You've you touched on a couple there. 
Uh, just go over what happened with the gout. Did that completely go away? And what's the other health benefits and non-scale victories that have come for you? Oh, it has. And, and I made a list as I was preparing for, for the podcast. In terms of the, the gout, um, my uric acid level was, so normal is under 8.5. I don't remember what the units are. At one point, mine was up to like 16 when I was having really uh, in, intense acute flares. Medicated, it was down to about 9.7. Uh, I just had blood work done and I've been weaning myself off of the, the medicine that I've been taking. So essentially unmedicated now it's at 8.7. So just barely above high normal. And I, I couldn't tell you the last time that I actually had a, a gout flare. So I'm essentially at a point where I'm unmedicated and and I'm maintaining and I'm not having issues. I'm, I used to be triggered by shellfish. So if I would we would go to uh, a Japanese steakhouse and it, you know how the, they'll just throw on uh, a few shrimp as a um, kind of as an appetizer for your, for your meal. And I remember I could eat those shrimp and before the meal was done, I could, I could already feel the, the flare in my ankle. Um, so I couldn't eat shrimp. I couldn't eat any kind of shellfish, um, crab or lobster or uh, scallops, a lot of things that I love. Um, for over a decade, I just couldn't eat them. And I've, I've been able to slowly reintroduce those uh, back into my diet without um, having any kind of flares either. So that, that's been a huge change. Um, in terms of my, my blood work, I had mentioned my, my A1C was at 7.2. Um, it has dropped down to five and it's, it's maintained there. Um, my cholesterol, uh, I've always had fine cholesterol. Um, never had had high cholesterol my most recent one my um mainly what i look at are triglycerides and uh hdl and the ratio of those two is that that is the greatest uh correlation with risk of of heart issues and that ratio for me is 1.5 to 1 so my triglycerides were 88 my hdl was 57 um that's you can't get much better than that i'm i'm very happy with that and that's with um, I, I've been moving more towards meats and as many animal based fats as I can and, um, mostly cruciferous vegetables and not a lot of them. I've, I've been, um, experimenting with cutting out legumes and, and dairy. I found I've, I have some issues with those. So this is a, you know, almost carnivore, but not quite. And my, my blood work is perfect. Um, but aside from that, um, body measurements have, have changed significantly. I, I used to have a 54 inch chest and that's, that's dropped to a 44 inch. Um, so shirts, I was in like a four X B and now I'm wearing a large tall. Uh, my waist went from 44 inches to 31 inches. So that's like an extra large short to a medium short. Um, my inseam actually increased from, from 30 to 32. So I don't know if the, the, the weight loss has improved posture or re reduced stress. I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure what, uh, but my inseam actually increased. Um, one of the, the really big ones was my ring finger. Uh, I actually had to get my wedding band resized because my, my ring finger uh, dropped from a, a nine and three quarters to an eight and a quarter. Um, my, I got to the point where I'd wash my hands and my, my wedding band would fall off. So I, I finally had to bite the bullet and go get it resized. Um, my body fat dropped from 40% to uh, it's under 20% now. And the, the one that, that I watch and, and I use my Renfo scale, it's a bio impedance analysis scale. So, you know, take the actual numbers with a grain of salt, but you, you can kind of look at the, the trends. Um, it indicated that my visceral fat rating to start was 18 and, and it's now a seven. So um, visceral fat correlates to the, the surface area of visceral fat. And uh, the rating is basically one tenth of that area. So an 18 means that I had an 180 square centimeters of visceral fat. And seven means that I now have only 70 centimeters squared where 10 is sort of the danger point. Anything over over 10 or 100 square centimeters is where you start to see risk related to, to visceral fat. So some some other non-scale victories. Uh, my sleep has improved, both in terms of improving sleep hygiene, but also I don't snore anymore, uh, which was one that made my wife very happy. 
uh, we talked about the general comfort uh, on airplanes and in airplane seats and, and with the seat belts. Uh, but just in general, my travel days are so much easier now. Uh, and one of the reasons that I agree completely about the clean fast is it's so freeing. Um, you just don't worry about what food is where and, and where you're going to get it or even dealing with food. And when I'm going through airports and I don't have to worry about where I'm going to stop and find food, especially when you're trying to stay keto, that's that's difficult enough in the airport or trying to find non-processed foods or non-industrial seed oils. That's really challenging in an airport or much less on an airplane. So my travel days are fasting days and I just don't have to worry about it, which is which is so freeing. Um, I don't know how many times you had to deal with uh, connections when you would fly, if you had more direct flights, but especially during the pandemic when the, the airlines had reduced flight schedules, um, I would fly, I fly regularly from Indiana to Southern California and uh, it often takes three flights. So I would fly from my home in, in Indianapolis to one of Delta's hubs, then fly to another Delta's hubs, and then fly to, to Orange County. And those connections could be really short and um, do a lot of sprinting in airport uh, terminals, uh, which that's also easier when I have to do that. Um, and so just, just everything about travel is easier. I just, my travel day is a fasting day and, and, life is so much simpler. And, and honestly, when you're going across three time zones, you fast, you sleep, you wake up, you do your routine and you eat your, your first meal when, when your, your window opens. Uh, it actually, I found it, it really helps me adjust to the time changes. You don't get a lot of jet lag just going three time zones, but, uh, it's still an adjustment. And, and I found that, that that's made it easier. Um, and I had my, my college homecoming two weeks, two weekends ago, and one of the, the current students uh, actually told me that, that she didn't think that I looked like it had been over 20 years since, since I graduated. Um, so bless her for that. Um, but that was, I mean, that's just one of those, those little things that, that this lifestyle, especially as you get healthier and your skin looks healthier and everything about you looks healthier, you look younger. And um, you know, I, I hadn't noticed it, but I, I appreciated that that someone that someone else did, and I think one one that I I uh, forgot to write down here, um, but I think it was the one that that prompted you to reach out to me uh, a few weeks ago. My my daughter's uh, church youth group wanted to participate in our our local town's five um, k, and so I said, sure, I'll do that with you. So we we did a five k, and I had never done one before, never. Uh, never even tried to do one. I don't think I'd done any long distance running since uh, gym class as a freshman in high school when you have to run the mile every semester. Um, but we we just went out and and we did it and we had a great time. And a year ago, a year and a half ago, I, I could never even dreamed of, of doing that. I could have walked it, but you know, that could never have done it in you know, any kind of pace. Yeah. How great is that to be able to do that with your daughter and you know, and as a dad and a, and a man, I mean, just as a manship, how much more confidence do you have now? And like, you know, sort of presenting in your job or that sort of thing or facing people you haven't met before. What's that like now that you don't have that weight on your body? And it never really bothered me. I, I do a lot of presentations to industry, to clients. My weight never really bothered me. But I do I do know that, that there is culturally, there's a, a perception of, of people who are uh, overweight, that's different for people who uh, are, are thinner. Um, I never really noticed that or let it, let it bother me. Um, but it is kind of fun to, to go speak somewhere and then see people I haven't seen for a year and a half and, and see people, you know, be amazed that, you know, how much different I, I look. Um, but honestly, it's really more about my kids. Um, I, I realized when I, I reached that point that, you know, where my, my health was at a low point, I'm really stressed. I'm physically, mentally, emotionally at the worst point in my life. My, my why is I need to be healthy and have vitality and, uh, you know, be there for my girls and experience all of life with them. And that's, what's really most important to me. Yeah, I know that mate. And, um, one of my great regrets uh, for my girls are 19 and 21 now and 
when they were at school, I was obese right through their whole schooling life. And that's one of my great regrets because I know I dodged everything going for appearance swimming races, you know, the, the sack races, all that sort of stuff. And I know my girls got ragged a fair bit about their dad being obese and that sort of thing in school. They never really said much about it, but I know it happens because I know how cruel kids can be from my own experiences when I was obese at school. But And what about support networks? How's your wife uh, dealt with all this, Chip? So my, my wife, my family have all been been really supportive. Um, so she actually uh, has been encouraged to to give intermittent fasting a try herself. Um, so one of the books that I read was the Laid Back Guide to Intermittent Fasting by by Kayla Cox, who has the uh, the Six Miles to Supper podcast. I think you've talked to her, if I remember correctly. Um, and so I had that book on, on Kindle and my wife read it and she's like, you know, this is something I think I could try. So she's recently, uh, started it. Uh, and overall my family has been supportive at home when I'm not on the road. Um, it's really important that we always have family dinner every night. So even if I'm not eating dinner, I'm, I still join my family for dinner. I'll just sit down with my glass of water. We still can have that family time around the, around the dinner table. And my girls got used to it. They'll just say, Oh, are you fasting tonight? And, and, you know, it was really no, no big deal. It didn't take very long. Um, obviously, my, my mother tells me I'm getting too skinny, but I think that's the prerogative of all mothers. I know that feeling of a mother-in-law used to tell me that I was getting too skinny all the time. <laughs> but you mentioned back in the podcast here a little bit about you're more of an intuitive faster, like listening to those hunger signals, that sort of thing. Like sometimes we do have to do that, um, particularly if you're not feeling all that great. But there are two types of hunger, aren't there, Chip? There's that belly hunger and there's that head hunger. The head hunger is that mental one where we just think we're hungry. But if we distract ourselves and have a big glass of water or go and do something, it tends to go away. And then there's that lingering hunger. And like you said, it's not punishment. And um, it's best to sort of listen to your body, isn't it? Absolutely. So um, I think part of that, that hunger is uh, a hormonal response. And one of those hormones is ghrelin. That's our hunger hormone. And it doesn't always mean that we need to eat because ghrelin has its own circadian rhythm. And when we eat on a certain cycle, we train our, our adrenal system to prepare the body to eat at the times it knows we're going to eat. And that's why you get that ghrelin signal. And that says, oh, hey, you should eat now, but you may not need to eat. It's just the cycle of, of that particular hormone. And as you go through intermittent fasting, your body adapts and you stop getting that signal. Um, and it, it changes when you get that signal. Uh, so absolutely, to, that's sort of that, that head hunger. As you correct all of your hormonal imbalances and the insulin is working properly and the ghrelin is working properly and the leptin is working properly. So the leptin is the, the satiety uh, hormone, and it's actually produced by our, our fat cells. And when we're overweight, we have a lot of fat cells. And so we're, we're putting out a lot of leptin to the point where we actually desensitize our brain and other receptors to leptin. And so we have to lose weight and restore the balance of leptin and allow the body to upregulate its receptors for that again. So all of that works properly. That And to me, that's where appetite correction comes in. We're, we're actually hungry when we need to eat. We when we start to feel full, it's because we're actually getting full and we can stop eating when when we're satisfied and we can we can really start to to trust those signals. Yeah. Another thing I really like what you said earlier on about the sleep and how you're going to sleep earlier at night. And I think that's so important to be able to get a good night's rest and make sure you're up not all up all night looking at screens and watching TV and that sort of thing because when you wake up in the morning, you don't want to be tired because when you're tired, that's when your mind starts wandering and you start getting that sort of hunger feeling that you're not really hungry, but then you break your fast and you, you don't really need to. But I think it's important to get a good night's sleep, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, we don't tend to talk a lot about cortisol in the, the intermittent fasting community, but it's almost as important as insulin. And I'll say even more so for women because their adrenal system, you've got the sympathetic and parasympathetic um, hormonal systems, and it can get really out of whack with women. It, I think it's why longer fasts are more challenging for women. Like you start talking about OMAD or alternate day fasting, that can be really difficult for women. Well, they've got a whole lot of other uh, hormonal balances to deal with the, than we men do. And um, 
one of those is cortisol and cortisol is one of those it's in that whole system that deals with adrenaline and uh, a whole bunch of other in all, all the sex hormones and cortisol itself is is a good thing when when you fast you actually put up more cortisol um so that kind of goes back to the primal lifestyle if there's not food and you're fasting your your body gives you cortisol the the thought is that that's that's to prepare your body to go out and and hunt and you know chase down the the game that you're gonna kill to eat so you if you if you have no energy you can't do that so your body developed this ability to give you this extra energy to go do that well we see that when you're fasting you get that 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 increase in cortisol that's part of why we have more energy but you can also overdo it and then burn out that that uh, whole adrenal system so getting good sleep is very important. Letting, um, you, that's the melatonin, the serotonin, those are all part of that, that same hormonal system. So getting good sleep at night, establishing good sleep hygiene. Um, for me, getting away from the screens late at night, letting, letting my body naturally get tired was, was really important. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. So let's talk about your fasting protocol now. And just to recap, you started off with that 16 and 8, and then you sort of morphed into the alternate day fasting now. So I know quite a number of people do that in the intermittent fasting community. We've had a lot of people on this podcast, uh, Fifi Dafufi, um, Rachel Awad gave a great explanation of ADF in uh, episode six. But for you, do you do that 500 calorie approach or do you just completely fast one day and then you go back into your up day the next day so i completely fast so this goes back into fasting is fasting and feeding is feeding so whether you're talking about an 18 or 20 hour window and not eating during it because you're clean fasting I, the, to me the same thing applies to alternate day fasting um you kind of defeat the purpose of the alternate day fast if you're going to take in 500 calories when when you say you're fasting um now I'm going to caveat, caveat that by saying there are lots of strategies that one worked for me. And if the 500 calorie on your, your ADF day works for you, keep doing it. Um, I also want to say, because I've done ADF or I've done OMAD that not everyone has to, or needs to do that. Um, we all have different goals with fasting. I did ADF specifically because I wanted to address, um, visceral fat and my liver health uh, and, and the metabolic syndrome. Uh, it wasn't to, to increase the pace of my weight loss. It was, it was specifically to target the metabolic health and, and liver function. Um, and I, I see a lot of people seem who seem to struggle because it, it, there's this, I think there's this perception that, yeah, you start at 16, eight, but that's, you know, that's not really great. Well, your goal should be 24 or one meal a day or alternate day fasting. And, and it's not a race. It's not, it's not a progression. You, you find the, the strategy that works for your goals. And if, if you're losing weight slowly and steadily on 16-8 or 18-6 and eating two meals a day, great, keep doing that. And don't look at what anybody else is doing and think you're, that you're not being successful or you're doing it wrong or you're not doing it as well as you can. Um, do what works for you that meets your goals. So for my goals, yes, it was ADF and I followed what Dr. Fung prescribed in, in uh, the obesity code and in diabetes code that uh, the fasting day was a true fasting day. And um, now he has a kind of a complex regimen, uh, if I remember correctly, where it kind of changes the eating windows on the eating days and, and things like that. That doesn't work for me logistically. Um, especially when I'm, when I'm on the road or, you know, I'm trying to accommodate family meals. So I just stick to two meals within sort of the, the lunch and, and dinner mealtime. And I try to keep that window at, at like six hours. Um, sometimes it might be a little more, uh, more often than that, it's a little less um, just based on when I'm actually able to eat lunch. Um, but that's what I do. And I don't stress how long I've been fasting. I don't use a fasting app. Um, to me, that focuses me on what I'm not doing and what I can't do, as in I'm not eating and I can't eat. I'd rather free myself to focus on all the things that I'm able to do and have the time and uh, focus to do because I'm not worrying about making and eating meals. Um, so again, if the fasting app helps you, please keep using it. If it just 
discourages you, maybe consider focusing on what you can do. You know, do you like reading? Can you, can you spend that time reading a book or spending time with, with your kids or getting outside and taking a walk or gardening or uh, I like to play tennis. So get out and play tennis um, or whatever the case. Um, focus on what you are doing instead of what you're you're not doing. And I've, that That's been successful for me. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I think you're right. I think IF is a is a simplistic thing, but it's also you've got to find your own jam. I mean, whatever that may be, it may be 16 and 8, maybe 19 and 5. And you touched on the great point. Don't compare to others. Comparison is the thief of joy. And you're just going to get frustrated by that. I mean, my body is different to Chip. Chip's body is different to everybody else. We all have our own DNA. So we've got to work out what's going to work for us. Some people can eat everything. Some people can't. I can't eat bread because I know bread's going to put weight on me. It's just one of those things. So I avoid it wherever possible, but occasionally I'll have it. And, you know, there's all these things that come from intermittent fasting that Chip's talked about. So you've just got to realize it's a flexible lifestyle and you've got to find your own jam. But I understand I'm not an ADF guy myself. I've never tried it, Chip. And um, I understand a refeed day is the most important part of ADF. Yeah, I think getting appropriate nourishment when you're eating is key whatever your your fasting strategy and i don't think in terms of of calories i've never counted calories um even even from a long time ago um i've never counted calories Um, but it is about getting sufficient nourishment for your body um it works the best for me uh especially when when i'm home and on multiple ways, it works that it, I force myself to take a break in the middle of the day. So that forces me to take a work break and I will go and typically I'll, I'll make an omelet. So around noon or one o'clock, depending on what meetings I have, I'll, I'll go and, and make an omelet and get some whatever meat we have in the fridge or vegetables or whatever, saute some mushrooms or something uh, leftover Brussels sprouts. Um, maybe a little cheese, I'll throw that all in, into an omelet and I'll just take a break in the middle of the day and, and I'll eat that. Um, and then later I'll, you know, I'll have dinner when the, when the family has, has dinner and that, that works great on a, on a couple of levels. Um, and for a while on the road, it, it was okay. I was able to get enough nourishment just eating the, the one meal a day. Uh, I think because I was, I was losing so much weight, my body was, was feeding on my, uh, you know, my, my stored fat so well. I didn't, I didn't need as much, but as I've gotten closer, what I assume is going to be my, my end point, um, and there's less stored fat to, to burn. Um, I found that didn't work as well. And so my body was saying, um, it's really didn't like me, uh, going a full day and then another day and then eating. So because I don't eat lunch, I just said, okay, I'm not going to ADF on the road. I'm just going to go to, to, to OMAD because that seems to be what, what, my body is, is preferring. And that's, it's easier to do that than to try to, to eat lunch and dinner on one day and keep doing the ADF. So be willing to be adaptable and listen, listen to what your body's telling you. Once, once we restore those signals, our body really does a good job of telling us what, what it needs, but getting appropriate nourishment is absolutely critical because, um, where you get into potentially get into trouble is if you, you have, too much calorie restriction and really it's energy restriction. Um, and you have too much energy restriction on top of fasting that that's kind of a danger zone because then your body will get that, that metabolic adaptation where it slows your, your metabolism down. So yes. Um, when you're ADF in in particular, because you're, you're eating in fewer times, you got to make sure you get sufficient nourishment when you're eating. Yeah. Thanks for that. Chip, we're nearly out of time in the podcast, but before we go, I just want to touch on a thing that's very important, I feel, is mindset. And you strike me as a guy that has an incredible mindset and a very inquisitive mind as well. What part did the mental side of things play for you in this journey so far? Oh, I'm, I'm glad we're getting to this, and I hope we have time to talk about it, um, because I think mindset is is really important, and I, I hope I can offer some encouragement to the uh, the, the fasting highway. Um, I think too often people beat themselves up too much. And, uh, if I can offer any encouragement, it's to separate moral value from our food choices. 
I actually dislike the term cheat as in a, a cheat meal or a cheat day because cheating implies rule breaking and rule breaking implies that there are rules, that, <laughs> but there are no rules, right? This is, this is dietary and metabolic principles. So we have principles, choices, actions, and consequences, and you're not a good or bad person based on what or when you choose to eat or based on whether the scale goes up or down today based on yesterday. Um, it, it, it's not a moral thing. We have choices and those choices have uh, consequences and those consequences are limited to however long it takes your body to, to deal with. So you eat something, your body metabolizes it and that's done. It doesn't mean that that has to impact your next choice. So we're always free to make a different choice next time. Um, and another thing is I, I don't refer to uh, fasting versus feasting. I actually prefer fasting versus feeding. And what others call cheating, I, I think that's that we really can look at that as our feasting. Uh, it's not really a cheat, and it's not against those non-existent rules. So really, it, it's the intended lived human experience because we're designed to celebrate life's events, where to to celebrate, to mourn, um, you know, everything that, that's part of life, and to fellowship with with one another. And that almost always in every culture in history involves food. So we really have to understand that that feasting is what it is. It's something that enriches our human experience with other humans. And it's just a feast is a feast. It's not cheating. It's just living life as it intended, as it's intended. And uh, so we don't feast every day. Uh, and our normal course of, uh, is cycles of periodic fasting and, and cycles of periodic feeding. And so when we view our daily nutritional intake as, as feeding instead of feasting, we, we kind of once again remove that emotional aspect from the food itself. And and. I think that can be so freeing because the the food is there to provide fuel. That that's ultimately that's it. It it's just fuel, and that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. And I'm kind of like you. I do my best to enjoy everything I eat. Um, I I go to the the butcher when I can to get local meat, high quality as much as I can, and uh, you know I'll, I'll grill it, I'll smoke it, everything. I'll have a a, a nice glass of wine with it. Um, but it you know it it it's still ultimately it's providing fuel and nourishment for our bodies. Um, so that feeding mindset helps us keep each meal in perspective. And it helps us remember that every food choice is distinct. So it's not influenced by the food choice you made before. It doesn't influence the next food choice you make. So in turn, it helps us to remember that the consequences of those food choices are equally distinct. Uh, and for those who beat themselves up over food choices, and I, I see this in the Facebook group a lot, uh, maybe it's helpful to realize that the consequence of a given food choice doesn't last any longer than the, the time required for the body to metabolize that food choice. And then we're free to make a different one next time. And then we reap the consequence of that different choice. So at this meal, we did one thing. Okay, and maybe it, it wasn't the greatest food choice, but maybe it was something where we needed to enjoy something that was more important than the food choice that time. Our next food choice, we make a different one. And then we we reap the benefits of a positive food choice. It it, it moves us further along our journey. And it, at, at the end of the day, all of this is, is really, it, it's a journey. Yeah. hundred percent chip. I think that's absolutely fantastic, mate. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation with you today. And I think we're going to have to do a part B because you have so much to offer in this space. And I really love a lot of things that we've talked about today. And I just wanted to say that, you know, it's really important for people listening to it, that everybody does something different and have to find their own pathway me and Chip have found our pathways, but you've got to find your own. Uh, we're not sort of against or for anything. We just do our own thing. And that's the beauty about living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. We find our own jam and we go with it and we live it and we love it. So Chip, one final question. I really hope that you have a passion to share your journey with others in the future. I don't know how you're going to do that and maybe putting a document together similar to what I did, but have you got that sort of passion where you want to get others involved and tell them about how fantastic this is, or you're quite happy just living your own path? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I do enjoy teaching. And, and as I mentioned, I, I present a lot in, in my industry because I do get a passion about, about teaching and especially this is so personal and it, it's so personally um, beneficial and rewarding. Uh, and I, love trying to be an encouragement for others as much as I try to learn from others. So that's why I participate in the Facebook groups. I, I just try to be an encouragement to people. And, you know, I, I, I could see myself, uh, you know, trying to write all this down and tell my story. If, if I can find a compelling way to, to tell my story the, the way that, that you did, 
you know, that would be beneficial to people. Maybe I'll do that someday. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but, but yeah, whatever I can do to, to encourage people and, um, help teach them, uh, the, the benefits of this lifestyle I'm, I'm happy to do. Yeah, I really hope so. And um, I really look forward to that, Chip. And thank you for being such an encouragement in the Fasting Highway Facebook group. You're a very popular member. Absolutely love your posts. But Chip Bennett, thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway. My pleasure. Cheers, Graham. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you so much, Chip. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you, and I think you have such a great mindset and a real insight into what it's actually like to live in an intermittent fasting lifestyle. And I really love some of that information that you were partaking there. It's very encouraging and very inspiring. So thanks so much for sharing your story with us today, Chip. So don't forget, folks, uh, you can get my book, The Fasting Highway, uh, out on Amazon about my own story. Uh, if you'd like to read a bit more about that and find out the hows, whys, and step-by-step sort of look at my own journey, uh, you can do that through getting my book, The Fasting Highway. Uh, you can also get some support online if you want to come and join the Fasting Highway Facebook community. Uh, with a great bunch of people in there now from all over the world. So, yeah, that's the Fasting Highway Facebook group. But until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.